is from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. So Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. A terrific story. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread to the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And we ask that God will really bless those words. Now, normally I would pray for Pastor Nick, uh, who's coming to bring the sermon to us, um, but I noticed he was called out a few moments ago. So um, why don't we just bow in prayer um, just for a few moments as we reflect on those verses. Our loving Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for these words that are recorded at the beginning of Jesus' ministry as he was filled with your spirit and as people recognised that something different was about him. Lord, we just ask that we might be like that, that we will allow ourselves to be filled with your spirit. And I just want to pray for Pastor Nick as he comes to speak to us tonight. Lord, anoint him with your spirit. And as he speaks to us, may your spirit move among us. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Good to uh, be sharing with you tonight. House lights are on. That's good. So the spotlight's at the back. I don't want to make a thing of it, but they're just so bright. <laughs> and um, I like looking into people's faces, but I just see silhouettes. Um, but that's okay. Hey, um, just a couple of things. Uh, I thought of something while we were singing and praying. And um, Has anyone here got relatives overseas in countries that are that are doing it tough with COVID. I had a bit of a chat to Camillo earlier in the service. He's from Colombia, and Colombia is in a terrible way uh, with COVID. Uh, this morning, um, we have some people from India, and I talked to them. Um, Lalo, I don't know what Mexico is like has in terms of that, but is anyone here from overseas or got relatives or friends overseas in countries where COVID is, is bad? Put your hand up so I can see. Like an actual hand, not a one yeah okay well 
what I'd like to do, I don't want to embarrass you, but can you stand up? <laughs> um, and Camillo as well, stand up, and I'd like to pray and lead us in prayer. If those people could stay who know people who have friends or family in countries where COVID's really bad, could you please stand? Uh, we don't need to know where it is. And uh, the people around them, just gently put a hand on their shoulder, and let's pray, because we're kind of in this bubble here in Australia where, you know, we're complaining that the vaccine rollout is, is too slow, and we haven't had anyone die for months and months. And there are countries where thousands of people are dying every day from COVID. And I just had a sense as we were praying and singing that, that God wants us to actually care about that and feel something for that. So just symbolically for these people who know people overseas uh, who are in countries where there is devastation through this disease, let's just gently put a hand on their shoulder and pray together. So let me lead us in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we... We want to thank you. In some ways, we feel embarrassed at, at just how uh, normal our country is at the moment, uh, how free we are, and we, we thank you for it. We want it to be that way, and we don't want it any other way, and we pray that you keep it that way and help us continue in this path. Uh, but, Lord, we take note. We, we are a, a church which is part of a global family of churches. We are human beings who are part of a global community of humanity, and we know that there are countries that are being um, utterly torn apart by COVID uh, right now. And so we pray, Father, for these people standing, for the countries that come to mind and heart. We pray for those people, those countries. We pray for their health systems and professionals. We pray for their vaccine rollout and pray your blessing, O oh God, and pray that you would deliver this world and, and these countries from this scourge. Help them to get on top of it, Lord. Help them to have good governance and policies which promote health and safety for people. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would be near the dying and the sick uh, and surrounding their families with your presence and your love. Heavenly Father, we pray that, that we won't just be um, aloof from the suffering of the world, that we won't be despairing or overwhelmed, um, that we still have hope in you, that you are bringing all things together for good, even though times are difficult and the world is, is struggling in many ways. Uh, Lord, help us to be mindful this week and to remember that these are real people and brothers and sisters in Christ and um, our, our fellow human beings who are suffering. And so we pray, Lord, and offer our prayers and where you would lead us to, to give and to find um, other ways to help and support uh, nations where COVID is, is really ravishing them, ravaging them. Father, help us in Jesus' name serve you in this, we pray. Uh, amen. Thanks, everyone. I didn't mean to um, put anyone on the spot there, but sometimes in church we've got to get past that shyness um, of uh, you know putting up our hands or whatever, and uh, and and just really do something like that. Well, tonight uh, I have a question for you, and it's uh, maybe you can discuss it for just a moment. Do you think Australia is is a secular country or a spiritual country? And by secular, I mean the worldview, the materialistic worldview that, you know, there is no spirit, God, spirit beings, no transcendent reality outside of that which you can see and smell and touch and know through your senses. Um, there's a couple of divisions around secularism, but we won't, won't get into it. But generally, non-religious, non-faith and faith. Um, what do you think about Australia? Just have a chat for 30 seconds to the person next to you. Is Australia a secular country or a spiritual religious country?
Okay. Well, um, I'm not going to answer the question. It's an, it's an open question, but I'd like to explore the question just a little bit as we do start. I'll, I'll share what I think, just for what it's worth. Uh, we, we are looking at the, the reality of spirit, uh, and uh, if we want just a standard defin- definition from the dictionary, you can see it there. Um, you can read it for yourself. An animating or vital, vital princi- principle held to give life to physical organisms. Um, and I think the not so much the answer or my observation about the Western world is today people are not more secular, though on percentages there are more secular people or, or non-religious people, non-believing people in the West than there has been historically. People are not more secular, they are less Christian in their spirituality. They're not more secular, they're less Christian. And that, that means that there's still a plethora, uh, a range of spiritual um, worldviews and systems and beliefs uh, in transcendent things, immaterial things, still permeates our culture um, quite strongly. And some recent research by the McCrindle Group bears this out. And uh, if you want to get a sense of what young people are thinking, um, this is what young people are thinking in a recent uh, poll around spiritual transcendent realities. And the interesting thing is that on all of those categories there, you can read them through as you like, on all of them, on none of them, are the sort of strong opposition more than 10%. So on, on none of those metrics... Um, is the phrase, I believe that does not exist. On all of them, that is no more than 10% on any of them. I think the highest is 9%. So in terms of hard secularism, maybe hard atheism, if you like, it's fairly low. Uh, If you take one like soul, do you believe um, people have a soul? Like Almost 50% of people responded and said yes. But another 30% kind of were favourable and open. Um, I can't read the second category because it's dark in here and my, I've written my notes too small. But, um, oh, there it is up there. I am open to the possibility this exists. So 80% of people aged 18 to 26, I know they're polls, they take a couple of thousand people, um, but still it's, it's a, a good sample. 80% of people believe or are open to the possibility of there being a soul, of us having a soul, Another kind of 10% are unsure, so agnostic, and around 5% think it's unlikely. And only 3% of people are like hard, secular, atheist, you know, no, we don't have a soul. Um, Beware of those people, by the way. (laughs) I think they're dangerous. Okay. Um, No, we love them and God loves them, but... No, imagine operating out of a worldview that you don't have a soul. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's intense. But fortunately, it's only 3% of the young people around you. <laughs> so that's good. Um, so generally speaking, that, that's interesting. People are hungry. People are open. So people are not more secular. They're less Christian in where they might be going to those traditional worlds and sources of spiritual life and spirituality and spirit that we have gone to in the Western world for many hundreds of years. People are no less hungry. They're no less spiritual. They're no less seeking 
for spiritual reality, for spiritual truth, for spiritual experience. They're just perhaps looking in, a, in an array of different things and perhaps a little bit more unsure of what the framework and structures and parameters are around a healthy spiritual life and spiritual reality. Um, so over the next little while, we're going to journey together what the scriptures say about spirit, mostly about God's spirit, but by virtue of that, our own spirit and our longing for spiritual truth, reality and experience that I'll be sharing tonight, saying that only is fulfilled and, and found fully in and through Jesus and what he has done. So the, the premise, one of the underlying assumptions of this series will be this. Um, in Acts, the book of Acts, as elsewhere in the New Testament, the reception of the Spirit, that is the Spirit of God, is the whole of Christianity. It's a big claim. To understand what is meant by the Spirit of God is to understand these two things, the New Testament and the Christian church. So that is, if you understand the role of God's Spirit, you get the whole of the New Testament, you get the church. This is why the New Testament was written, why Jesus came, why there is church. The reception of the Spirit, human beings receiving God's Spirit, is the whole of Christianity. And Eugene Peterson, who's a, an author, um, went to be with Jesus recently in his 90s. Uh, if you've ever read the Message translation, uh, he translated that version of the Scriptures, which is a, uh, a really helpful transliteration of the, the New Testament, not so much a translation. Um, so read it along with an NIV or an ESV, just putting a plug out there. Uh, he says that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not merely truths to be learned and believed, though they are. They are to be lived or experienced. The church is not primarily a place for education, though of course we do that. It is a place, a playing field, if you will, to practice God, to practice resurrection, to, to experience together and practice together the new life of God that is ours through Jesus and what he has done by the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are things to know, things to learn, and, and I love Leighton's prayer tonight. I don't want to put Leighton on the spot. He's a tall guy, so he's probably used to being on the spot um, or being noticed. Um, but his prayer was, was really rich in that it was kind of sprinkled with Scripture, with the Word of God. It was kind of a heartfelt prayer, but informed by God's Word. And I found that really encouraging and edifying, um, that sense of, you know, we're practicing God, we're practicing resurrection, but we're doing it in the contours of what he's revealed in his Word. So a little kind of... Um, theological, if you like, um, assessment of what we mean by spirit. This is Don Carson. God is spirit means that God is invisible, divine, as opposed to human, life-giving and unknowable to human beings unless God chooses to reveal himself. As God is light and God is love, so God is spirit, these are elements in the way God presents himself to human beings in his gracious self-disclosure in his son, Jesus. The provision of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is made possible by the work of Jesus, who is the truth and who by his glorification, by way of the cross, 
pours out the Spirit, who is called, among other names in the Bible, the Spirit of Truth. Now, essentially as Christians, we understand God, and I'm not going to get into this tonight, but if you want to discuss this more or or get some follow-up reading about God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God and three persons, um, that's the basis of, of the biblical revelation of who God is. And the next six or seven weeks, we're focusing on the Holy Spirit member of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I want to start by letting you know that the Bible considers human beings, back in Genesis 1, as spiritual dirt. That you and I, from an anthropological perspective, a biblical anthropology suggests that we are spiritual dirt. That's what God created us to be. So you'll see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, spoke these things into being by his word. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, this is like first verse of Genesis, first chapter of the Bible, first verse. The Spirit of God is there, hovering over the waters, ready to to bring forth God's creative power to create um, the the earth and uh, create the the human beings, the the creatures of the earth, the, the systems as we know them. God is there ready by the Spirit. And there's a beautiful image Apparently in the Hebrew, though I don't know Hebrew, but I have read this, that it's as though the Spirit was dancing upon the waters, like ready, ready to act on God's word to bring into being humanity and this creation. And then it says a little bit later in chapter 2, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. There's your dirt. So we are made from the dust of the ground. We're earth people. We're earthy people. But we're not only earthy people, because what happens next is very significant in understanding a biblical worldview about the, the image of God and the bearing of God's life in human beings. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, and it means breath. It means wind. Same with the Greek word pneuma, where we get like pneumatic tire. It's like a tire filled with air. It represents air and breath and wind. God breathes his spirit into the human being, and the man becomes a life, uh, a living being. So we are of the earth. We are made from the earth, and that's good. It's good to be human. It's good to be made of the earth, and we've got to accept that. It's, it's a good thing. But we are more than that. We are bearers of God's image, made in his image, but also God created a space or a place within the human being to dwell by his spirit. Now, just a quick flyover, basically the whole Old Testament. Um, Unfortunately, we were spiritually alive dirt in the beginning when God created humanity, but through our rebellion and sin, we became spiritually dead dirt. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We're meant to care for the earth and, and steward the earth, not you know, be greedy and, and uh, terrorize it. And the Lord God commanded the man, we are, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. It's a real gift. You're free. This earth is yours. 
But don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, say it after me, you will certainly die. That's a pretty serious promise right there. Uh, But interestingly, do you know the story? If you know the story, they do take the fruit and they do eat it. Do they die? They don't die, right? They don't die. So what happened? Did God make a mistake? No. They didn't die physically. They died spiritually. That place within them that held and um, was possessed by God's breath and spirit kind of shriveled up and became closed off. And they died spiritually. And God begins a rescue plan throughout the Old Testament to bring people back to that place of not just being dirt, earth dwellers, but spiritual dirt, alive with his life and his spirit. But they died spiritually, and that's the the state of humanity. You are surrounded by people who are doing lots of things and and busy and active and, and all sorts of aliveness in so many ways in a physical sense. But apart from God, apart from Jesus, uh, we're spiritually dead. We're not alive. And we seek to fill that hunger. Um, I know it's a bit old-fashioned now, but that God-shaped hole within us, we seek to fill it with, with pleasure, with power, uh, with all sorts of exploitations to, to feed that hunger and that thirst that we have that we're made for to know God and to know and taste his life and his spirit in our being. So in the Old Testament, there are some cases where the Holy Spirit comes upon certain people to do certain tasks, you know, kings and prophets and priests, and God anoints and pours his spirit, his power upon these people to achieve certain things. It's kind of like a spiritual elite. But by and large, the majority don't get that access. But God says throughout the Old Testament, uh, he promises through the prophets that this is what he wants to do. He wants to bring humanity back to a place where he can breathe his spirit in them, to cleanse them from their sin, their brokenness, um, from their rebellion, and breathe his spirit back into them and have that fellowship and that friendship and intimacy with them. So he promises the Holy Spirit uh, will come at a later time. And through prophets like the prophet Ezekiel, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is God speaking. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, your dead heart, and give you a heart of flesh. I will pour my I will put my spirit, my spirit in you. And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And I remember when I became a Christian, one of the, the, the kind of primal experiences I had when, when I you know, invited Jesus to come into my life, to be Lord of my life, was the Holy Spirit coming into my life and that, that experience of cleansing. And I described it as like feeling like I'd been washed from within, like I'd been washed inside. And that... Um, is the experience that, that I had in coming to Christ. And the prophet Joel, he says this through the prophet Joel, um, afterward, like at a later day, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Let's say that together. I will pour out my spirit on all people. On who? All people. It's like everyone. 
Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So the people of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, were waiting for a day, a time in the future when God would would act and would pour out his spirit on humanity and restore and redeem and save human beings. And they were longing for this day. And they began to um, hear from the prophets that there would come one. There would come a saviour, a messiah, an anointed king, a spirit bearer would come and would be the one through whom God would speak to the nations and God would pour out his spirit. The promise of the spirit bearer, capital S, spirit. When you see it in the Bible, that's like God gets the capital S, we get the little s, which is fair enough. Um, When you're God, you deserve a capital S for your spirit. So Isaiah, other prophets, other places, this promise of one who will come, who will be the spirit bearer, who will breathe God's spirit back into the hearts of dead humanity, spiritually dead humanity. And the, the prophet says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. That's kind of shorthand to say this Messiah, this king, this spirit bearer will come from the line of King David in the Old Testament, uh, who was from the stump of Jesse. That was his father or grandfather, his father. Um, and what's this person going to be like? What's this saviour going to be like, this Messiah? Well, you know him by this. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So you'll know this king, you'll know this saviour, you'll know this one by the spirit. He will be the spirit bearer in a way that no other human being has ever um, borne the spirit before. And so then we get to the reading that uh, David read to us and it's from Luke's gospel and it's the start of Jesus' ministry. And he comes to the, the synagogue. I've just kind of pulled out a few parts of that passage. And just before he comes to the synagogue and reads the prophet Isaiah, uh, Luke says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan region after he was baptised Bit of a plug there for our June baptism service. Jesus was baptized. It's good for him. It's good for you. Um, After he was baptized, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So sometimes the Holy Spirit leads us into times of trial or difficult seasons to purify us, to prepare us. Um, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. But he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He went to Nazareth, his hometown. And he got up to speak, he opened the scroll of Isaiah, and he read this passage, Isaiah 61. And everyone there knew, because they all knew their Bibles, um, everyone knew that this passage referred to the Messiah, to the promised king, to the spirit bearer who would come and liberate his people. They knew that. So he starts to read, and it's all going well. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, etc., etc. It's all going very well. And then he says these words. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that's when they went berserk. Because they knew that he was claiming to be the one, to be the one that God had promised to send to deliver his people and to bring the new age of the spirit. And they went, uh, they went nuts and they tried to kill him. You know, a sermon's gone bad in church when people try and kill you. Um, Or maybe it's gone well. Let's put it that way. Um, Jesus was 
immersed in the Spirit right from his conception through his life and ministry. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but also by um, the egg of Mary, if you like. There's the earth, the dust. Jesus will baptize us in the Holy Spirit, Luke tells us. The Holy Spirit anointed Jesus for his ministry. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, You're getting the, the sense there that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are fairly close. Jesus' life and ministry was prophesied as being anointed or, or immersed and blessed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught that God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Jesus promised his followers that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting word because it's not just anointed, um, which is like the Spirit coming upon you. Baptized is, is the word for immersion. Jesus said, I will immerse you. In the Holy Spirit. Now, that's all good and very well, um, but what does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? Well, that's what we're going to look at over the next six or seven weeks, but a couple of things I want to bring to your attention are here, um, and that is the way the first followers of Jesus understood his life and ministry and how it applied to them with the understanding of of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul said it like this, You, however, he's speaking to the Christian community in Rome, but to all of us, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, the new age of the Spirit that Jesus brings. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, see how he uses it interchangeably? They're not the same person, but they're they're so connected. The spirit of God brings us to Christ. Christ gives us the spirit. Um, He interchanges the way he talks about the spirit of God, the the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, by the Holy Spirit, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. So what he's saying there just at the end is, yes, we receive the Spirit, the Spirit of God as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, the gift of the Spirit. But we're still going to die. We're still going to die physically. That's just a reality. We still are dust people. And we will die because of the sin that came into the creation, the brokenness of it. But Paul's saying, well, don't worry. The Spirit of God that lives in you is eternal and you won't die spiritually. Uh, you, You have life beyond your physical death. And then the rest of the New Testament teaches that at a point in the future, God will uh, give you a new body, a new glorified body, uh, where you will be uh, in his presence in this new existence. So don't worry about dying. Spirit won't stop you from dying. But having the spirit stops you from dying spiritually and being separated from God eternally. That's really important. And I just put it out for you tonight, these questions that Paul raises. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. 
So back to where we started, that sense of we can know things about God. We can know things about Jesus. We can agree with things that are in the Bible. We can have doctrines and truth that we assent to. But Christianity, as construed through the New Testament, is a transformed life. It's a, new, it's a new reality where God, by his spirit, comes to live in you and dwell in you. And that's a reality that we need to ponder. Is my faith intellectual and inherited from my parents, perhaps? I just kind of believe I'm a good moral person. Or do I really know that God, by his spirit, has come into my life, come into my heart? Come in. <laughs> the wind blows where it will. Um, and then an important thing as we kind of wrap this up and head into communion, I want you to hear from the Apostle Paul, is that he wrote to the Galatian Christians in modern-day Turkey where the seven revelation letters were sent to. Um, and this is only 20 years after Jesus has died. He's writing this and, and rose from the dead, of course. And the Christians there had got off track really quickly and Paul writes to them and they'd kind of started out believing in the good news of Jesus that receiving God's spirit into their lives with joy uh, and being transformed and then a little bit down the track they kind of got this thought where they thought they had to work hard now and and just try really hard to to be moral and good people and, and just by their effort please God and Paul has to write to them and remind them that the way their Christian life started by simple believing in Jesus and trusting in the message of Christ and receiving God's spirit, that's how it continues. That's why we preach Jesus regularly here at church community because the spirit um, loves to come through the word of Jesus and uh, comes where Jesus is honored and um, exalted and believed and loved. So Paul writes to the Galatians and he says this, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit, the Spirit of God, by works of the law, that is by trying really hard to please God and be a good person and doing it all in your own strength, or did you receive the Spirit by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced, or the translation could also be suffered so much in vain? There was a real cost to be a follower of Jesus in that day. They could lose their friends and family and possessions and jobs, all sorts of things, and face physical persecutions. He says, have you experienced or suffered so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So I ask you again, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, by obeying certain laws and regulations and being trying to be good people, or by believing what you heard. And that phrase, believing what you heard, is kind of a technical shorthand for the message of Jesus. So when you heard the message of Jesus, when you believed um, and you received God's spirit, That's how you continue. You continue to look to Jesus, to trust in him, to believe in him, to learn from him and his word, walk in his ways, but rely on the power of the Spirit to help you live this life. Rely on the power of the Spirit to help you serve. Rely on the power of the Spirit to help you overcome the sinful tendencies that you still have as a follower of Jesus. Rely on the power of the Spirit to help you go out in Jesus' name with his love and with his message to others.
And so we see that the Holy Spirit um, will lead us in these things in the New Testament, that through our faith in Jesus, it starts with Jesus, the Spirit bearer, the one who dies for us, who cleanses us and covers and pays for our sin and our rebellion, the one who, through whom God gives us the Spirit again to, to receive into our heart and our lives, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's our salvation. Uh, that's how... That's how God restores and renews us through Christ. We're filled with his spirit and saved. But we live in the Holy Spirit. We, we learn to walk again, uh, to, to understand the promptings of the spirit, to rely on God's spirit, to be open to God's spirit at work in our lives. We live in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit convicts us sometimes and uh, you know helps us grow more like Jesus and into the holiness that God does require from us, but not from our own works, but from his spirit working in us. And we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve and to share the love of Jesus with others. You can't do any of this by just trying really hard or, or you know, um, going through some religious rituals. That's not what God intended. God intended this life in Christ to be one marked by the presence of the Spirit of God, living in us, learning to walk by that Spirit. And that doesn't mean that everything works out perfectly when we work, walk by the Holy Spirit. Um, most of Jesus' first followers all lost their lives prematurely as they were led by the Spirit. Um, the Spirit can lead us into persecution and, and all sorts of things. But we live by the Spirit because that's how we know God. That's how we know his intimacy. That's how we know we're his children. And over the next six or seven weeks, we're going to unpack this more. Next week, we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, what does that look like? We're going to talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit help us in prayer? How does the Holy Spirit help us in mission and, and sharing Jesus with others? That's where we're heading over the next little while. So hang in there. Hopefully you've got some questions. Um, hopefully some things that um, have prompted you to be more interested and attentive to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and more attentive to the role of the Holy Spirit in, in salvation, in the way that God saves us, in the way that God shapes us and sanctifies us, and the way that God empowers and equips us for his work in the world. So let's pray together, and uh, let's pray um, this prayer that I've written for us. Uh, remember, the Bible has lots of written prayers, and they're no less spiritual if they're written. It's the intent and the heart in which you say them, which... Uh, give them their, um, yeah, efficaciousness. You can look that up. I don't know what it means, but it's an appropriate word for there. Let's pray this together. I invite you, um, not force you, but just invite you as someone who believes in Jesus and has the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus said, where he said, how much more will God the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we'll invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. For those who are maybe... I'm not even sure if I am a Christian, if I am a believer. I don't even know if I believe this. Um, you know, perhaps this could be a prayer of entry for you to say, you know, God, I, I want to know more of you. I want to know who Jesus is. I want to know your spirit. I want to, to know and, and sense and, 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 and understand that I'm your child, that this hunger within me is, is, this thirst is fulfilled by your spirit. So let's pray together. Father God, we ask you to give your Holy Spirit now Holy Spirit, come. Fill us with the love of God. Holy Spirit, come. Actually, let's start again. Why don't we stand up and do this as, a, as, a, as just a, a symbol of our um, humility before God. And why don't you even hold out your hands if you want, like this.
in a posture of surrender, like you really mean this, like you really want to know God, you really want his spirit more fully in your life. Uh, Let's pray this together. Father God, we ask you to give us your Holy Spirit now. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us with the love of God. Holy Spirit, come. Affirm that we are God's children. Holy Spirit, come. Lead us in the way of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Give us power to testify about Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Let your joy fill our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. Lead us into the truth of Jesus. Amen. Let's just pause for a moment of silence before God. invite you to take a seat and um, I'm just going to remove our, our COVID safe cloth from communion, just protecting these elements from droplets when we were singing. And let's um, come to this meal because if we understand what it means to receive the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that it was costly for God to open that relationship and that pathway up for us to again have him breathe his spirit in us he had to do this work of cleansing humanity of justly dealing with sin of providing a way for the sinfulness and brokenness and the guilt and shame of humanity to be dealt with and atoned for and this is that meal that Jesus invites us to share so on the night that Jesus the spirit bearer, the anointed one, on the night that he was betrayed by Judas when he shared this meal just before he went to the cross. He took bread and he thanked God for the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, my earthly body. My dust body, broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And at that same meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this represents my blood. Just as, I'm paraphrasing now, just as grapes from the earth have to be crushed to release the wine, so my body has to be crushed and my blood flow to release the new age of the spirit that God is bringing in. So he took the cup, he thanked God, and he said, this is my blood, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink, and when you drink this, remember me. Remember what I said, remember what I did, remember what I promised. So I invite those who love the Lord Jesus and would like to love him more to come to this table I should use this, sorry for those people at home (laughs) um, who are watching online Um, you probably picked up a bit of that but thank you Jesus for this bread, this grain of the earth where we are from the dust, 
the grain that must be crushed to bring us bread, the grapes of the vine of the earth that must be crushed to bring us that wine. And we remember that Jesus, the perfect Son of God, the Spirit bearer, the anointed one, that he was crushed, that he was put to death for our sins. As the Apostle Peter said, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body, his earthly body, on the tree, on the cross, so that we might die to sin and come alive to righteousness. So, Lord, thank you for this meal. Thank you that you invite all who love you and want to love you more. If those who are serving could come forward. Uh,